want me. <laughs> Let's see here. Praise the Lord, everyone. Just got a text message from Pastor Neary. He is trying his best to relax there in Arkansas. Wants everybody to know that he loves you. And he's watching, so we need to be on our best behavior, don't we? <laughs> hmm. The end of the year, here at Paradise, anyhow, is a time of prayer. Did you know that? You didn't know that? Well, I am making a declaration. That is what we do, and that is what we have done. We dedicate the year exchange to furthering and strengthening our relationship with Jesus through prayer. We did it last year as we discussed and went through the 10 days of prayer, talking about the Holy Spirit, praying for the Holy Spirit, and this year we're going to do it again. Now, Pastor Neary will elucidate a little bit more when he comes back. He wanted to drop the details himself, but let it be known, we are going to be having special and specific prayer days. Everybody in here has got something they should be praying for. If you don't, you ain't praying enough. Mm. So, be ready. This is the opening, the beginning. As we put ourselves in the mindset, as it were, of prayer. That as the years go by, we get Closer and closer to the Jesus who saved us until we are so close that when he comes in his clouds of glory, we are happy but not surprised. I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving today. And before you go and tell on me, Unlike many of the holidays that we have in this country, Thanksgiving is not one that has pagan roots. It doesn't. And it is not my purpose to get up here and talk about all the holidays. We ain't got time for that. But Thanksgiving has its roots in giving thanks to God. That is not to say that somebody somewhere isn't messing it up, but that is what it has been. We are going to look at Thanksgiving in the kingdom. We begin in Matthew, the 26th chapter. I have it on the screen. I'm going to read it from the Word of God, starting at verse 26. Jesus is in the so-called upper room with his disciples. Three and a half years, Jesus has walked the walk he has been our example. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He healed. He showed what could be done through the power of the Father. And now his ultimate mission is right before him. 
he's sitting with his family, his friends, his brethren, these future apostles. And it says in verse 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Did they fully understand? Probably not. But as we will see in 1 Corinthians later on, it began to dawn on them as God continued to work with them as they spread the gospel to the world. They began to understand what was going on here. Take, eat, this is my body. Verse 27, and then Jesus took the cup and gave what, everybody? Ah, you see that? Hmm, what have we here? And he gave it to them saying, drink all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, praise the Lord, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, praise the Lord again. And then verse 29, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you, where everybody? in my father's kingdom. I understand I can be boring sometimes, so if you're planning on going to sleep, let me give you a message right now. Jesus extends an invitation. Did you see it? They are having what we call colloquially the last supper. But Jesus says right there, this is not the last supper. There's another supper coming. Come on, church. When I eat and drink with you in my Father's kingdom, a day on which we will be giving thanks, have mercy for our victory. I'm about to make the argument that we're going to have a form of thanksgiving in heaven. Yeah, yeah. And we shall see what the word has to say to us. Why don't you go ahead and sing this little song with me? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, pure and holy, tried and true, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I'll be a living sanctuary, sanctuary, Lord for you, Lord for you. Mm. Been singing this song all week. I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever all my days, I will love you, Lord. Try that with me. I'll love you, Lord. I will love you, Lord. 
Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever all my days, I will love you, Lord, forever. Forever all my days, I will love you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Ah, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior in heaven. We will love you, Lord, our strength. Lord, we will love you, our shield. We will love you, Lord, our rock forever, all our days. We will love you. Bless us, Lord. Hide Ryan and talk to your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let everybody say, amen. Amen. The title of today's message is The Welcome Table. The Welcome Table. Man, I just get glad saying that. (laughs) The Welcome Table. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the history of Thanksgiving because it gets muddy. What happened with the pilgrims and the Native Americans, who was first and who was doing what and all of that. But I found some very interesting things. It turns out that way before the leader of a nation could declare a day of thanksgiving. And this would happen. And it usually took place following war. It is interesting how war sometimes necessitates thanksgiving. Brings everybody right here in line with the master. And we are told that the first president, as it were, George Washington, declared a day of thanksgiving. After which war, everybody? The Revolutionary War. It's funny how war does that. And he's the one that decided to have it on the last Thursday in November. Well, the time shifted around. And this little lady that you see in the right hand, her name is Sarah Hale. Does anybody know what famous song Sarah Hale wrote? Mary had a little lamb. National treasure. Yes, there the nation was, looking again at war. But this time it is the Civil War. There was a breach that is forming between the North and the South of the fledgling United States. And she had been writing letters to previous presidents saying, hey, we need to come together and have an official day of thanks. You know why? Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the devil tries to discredit God by the evil that he does in this world. Did you know that? That's right. Bad stuff happened to us, and we say, look what God did to me. The devil, who used to be a covering cherub, tries to discourage the people by discrediting God. And did you know that a way to combat this A way to go against what the devil is trying to do is to stop and say, thank you, Jesus. Did you know? 
that when we give thanks, we keep our eyes on the prize and we realize who it is that's holding us up. And Sarah Hale realized this, and she wrote letters to the presidents saying, we need to have a national day of Thanksgiving. We need to do this. We need to do this. Families coming together. And then the Civil War was dawning like an evil moon over the horizon of history. And who was the president during the Civil War? Tall president, six foot five, six foot six, not terribly handsome. They portray him as having a deep voice, but I understand his voice was actually high and squeaky. Messes you up. Messes you up right here, doesn't it? Delivering the, the, the address. Yes, Abraham Lincoln finally paid attention to what Sarah Hale was saying. Yes, we need to have a national day of thanks. It's funny how war sometimes necessitates Thanksgiving, isn't it? And so they did it, but it was not an official holiday yet. And it wasn't really done on that last Thursday. They had their day trying to bring the nation together, realizing that if everybody is praying to the same God, maybe we can have peace on earth. And time went on, and time went on. Sarah Hale fell asleep in Jesus. And it wasn't until 1941 that a president said, you know what, we ought to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. This happens in November. Now, people had been doing their own little Thanksgiving. They said, we need to bring it together, and they signed it in December of 1941. What had happened in December of 41 in this country? Who knows? Pearl Harbor. It's funny how war sometimes necessitates Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving became a day when people are supposed to come together as family and focus on what God has done for us. Thanksgiving has changed a little bit. Now, I'm not knocking it. You know, I'm guilty of some of these things. I'm just going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. Now, when I was growing up, when Mama had Thanksgiving, you had to show up at the table with a tie on. You're like, wait, well, look at me. She tried so hard, didn't she? I just, <laughs> it's the arthritis, guys. It gets to my neck sometimes. That's not an excuse. It's the truth. <laughs> we had to have a tie on. Don't you show up at the table without looking nice. Boy, you better go back upstairs and make yourself presentable. And we would sit around, and then we'd go around the table. Tell something that you are thankful for. Matter of fact, tell two things. And we would go around the table and, and, and we would do this. It was a family tradition. And I have to admit that as time has gone on, some things have changed about Thanksgiving in the household. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I just want to throw out that in 1921, a brand new company by the name of the National Football League had been formed. And they were like, we need to get everybody around these games. And so they created the Thanksgiving football game. And that has become part of American Thanksgiving tradition. Now, there's a lot of things that are part of our, you know, Thanksgiving tradition. But I looked up the three things you need in order to enjoy Thanksgiving in America. 
brought a couple here. Shall I look? Let's have a look. Well, let's see. Mm. See, I should have put this in here, shouldn't I, bro? I put the, come on now. We'll just leave that there. Well, first of all, here I have 32 decibel noise reduction rating foam earplugs. Because they say family will drive you crazy. And then there's a little asterisk. It's like, please see below. So I scrolled up and saw below. Word to the wise. Do not engage in contentious political conversation at the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> there is family that have not spoken in years because they did not put some of these in their ears when they needed to. <laughs> Don't fight. All right, well, let's see what else we got here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't act like it's just me. <laughs> because, and you can't really blame American culture for this. It is the psychology of feasting to eat more than you need. When Belshazzar, through the feast in the book of Daniel, he was trying to demonstrate to the Medes and Persians, we can chillax, we are not afraid of you. So we will go to excess. See what I'm saying? And that is how feasting works. We lean back and show our bounty by indulging in more than we normally would. Well, let's see what else we got in here. <sighs> Stop hating. I can feel the hate. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. This is my wife's. I'm from North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, so we had to sit down and have a conversation, you know what I'm saying, before we got married about what was going to be worn at Thanksgiving. And if this shirt looks old, it's because it is old. Anybody, your kids don't even know about that. Yeah. And then you bring your sports affiliation. And as we get going into the Thanksgiving festivities, somebody ought to ask the question, whatever happened to God? Where is he at? What part in the overindulgence? What part in, in the gladiatorial events? Come on, somebody. What part in tuning each other out has to do with Jesus the Christ? Because Thanksgiving began as thanksgiving. Well, did I misplace that? Here we go. Let's have a look. There's Jesus. And he is having this so-called last supper with his disciples. Now, it was not just a random dinner. He didn't just say, go over there and pick up some unleavened bread from Walmart and let's come up in here and have a dinner. No, no, no. It was a specific festival. Who can tell me what was being celebrated? The Passover. They were celebrating the Passover together in the upper room, and the disciples did not realize that a very specific thing was taking place in their presence. The antitype was meeting the type, 
but we're going to break it down right quick just to show that Passover is their form of thanksgiving. Well, let's see. So what they were eating is known as the Passover supper. And it is very interesting. You have to understand the timing here because while some quibble and squabble over the exact dates and stuff like this, for the most part, they had this dinner and 24 hours later or less, Jesus was dead. The last meal that he would have in this phase of his ministry is the Passover meal and it's fitting. Why, preacher? Well, let's have a look. Passover. Let's go all the way back to the book of Exodus. We were in Matthew. We're going back, back in the Bible, also back, back in time to the origins of this Passover dinner that Jesus was having with his disciples. Are you still with me? You still with me? All right. Now, if you recall, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Stop judging Israelites right now. Because everybody in here is or has been a slave to something. Hmm. Let's see where we can find the gospel in this story. And so God had said to Moses, look, you need to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But I'm not going to let him just emancipate the people immediately. I'm going to harden his heart because I'm about to deliver my people with a mighty hand is what he said. And so Pharaoh was there and he had seen plague after plague after plague after plague after plague, 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 plague. And now we're at the 10th plague. What's the 10th plague? What's the 10th plague? The death of the firstborn. God, yes, whoever this boy is right here knows his Bible. Come on, young preacher. Yes, God said he would send his angel over Egypt, but the angel would seem to be indiscriminate. All of the firstborn over whom the angel would pass would die. We who have sinned, what does it say the wages of sin is? We deserve to die. Look for the gospel. Look for the gospel here. And so there the Israelites are. And Moses goes and says, now listen, <laughs> we about to be free up in here. But the angel of the Lord is coming over and God has given specific instructions. For those of you all who fell asleep, we are talking about the origins of the Passover meal. So here we are, here we are back in Egypt, and this is what God said to do. Exodus chapter 12. It says 7, but I had to start in 5, apparently. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Your what? Your lamb. No surprises here. Who's the lamb of God? All right, well, let's go back, though. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. All right, take a lamb. And what shall we do with this lamb on this day before the angel of death passes over? Verse 7, and they shall take of the blood. Oh, come on. And strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses. So when you go and see the door of a house, there's a side and then there's a top part. They said you're to take the blood of a lamb and put it on both sides and put it over the top. Verse 12, 
for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. He, he says, y'all going to know I am the real God, and I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Let's put a pin in that. I got to go here. I can't help myself. For those of you all who are familiar with the three angels' messages, remember that whole fear God, give glory to him who's the real God for the hour of his judgment. Yeah. And so they said, take that blood, put it on the doorpost in order to be covered so that you do not die. Do you see the gospel in here? We deserve to die, but we've been covered by the blood. And there's something else here about being delivered. I like this part because, see, the children of Israel are inside their houses where they're slaves. And they're about to step out of their houses where they're free. And the only way to get from where you are to where God wants you to be is to go through the blood. And since then, they commemorate this great freedom by having a Passover meal. They are literally giving thanks to God for what he's done. And so does Jesus. Having this Passover meal with his disciples. Look at it now. Look at what's happening here. Jesus is celebrating what God has done with his disciples who don't realize that he's the lamb and the blood is his. And in order for them to go from where they are to where God wants them to be, in order to go from the bondage that we are in. Oh, let me preach a little bit. In order to go from the bondage of alcoholism, in order to go from the bondage of a broken home, we have to go through the blood. Do you see? I was talking to Sister Donna earlier this week, and we were just putting our heads together, and she was like, I wonder why the grape juice, and the grape juice, as we know, and she knows, we were just talking, it represents the blood. It is the blood. This is my blood, which is shed for you. The lamb was representative in the past, and now Jesus is the lamb, and it's all coming together, and Jesus is having this dinner with his disciples. The cross is the next thing on his journey. But the disciples are there. Their heads are bowed. If you don't believe it, go ahead and read John 14, 15, 16. Let not your hearts be troubled. They are troubled in their spirit. Jesus is saying that he's about to go away. They don't fully understand what's going on. And then Jesus makes a promise. Yeah, I'm eating this with you to commemorate what happened back then. But I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine. What's the fruit of the vine? What are we talking about? 
Grapes, yes, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He just said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. And now he says, in that Father's kingdom, we're going to have another dinner, disciples. We are going to celebrate what God has done for us. Why? Why is it necessary to have a Thanksgiving dinner in heaven? Because it says in Revelation chapter 12, there was war in heaven. It's funny how war necessitates Thanksgiving. The cosmic conflict, the great controversy. There's war in heaven. There was Michael, Jesus, and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, and they fight now over us. But look what happens in verse 8. They prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. That's the setup. Now, here's the delivery out of Egypt. It says, and they, that's us, overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And then here comes the thanksgiving in verse 12. Rejoice, paradise. Give thanks, paradise. Praise the Lord, paradise, for the devil has but a short time. And there's a beautiful symmetry here. Do you see it? God delivering his people from Egypt through the blood. Jesus, the sacrifice for us by his blood. And then we shall rejoice in heaven because we've been saved by the blood. And look what it says is going to happen. Look what it says is going to happen in heaven. Oh, have mercy. It says in Isaiah, and his mountain shall be the Lord of hosts. Make unto all people a feast, a dinner of fat things. Fat here is good. You ever heard of killing the fatted calf? And a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. We're going to sit at the welcome table, friends. We are going to sit with people whom we have lost, friends. And after everything that we've been through, and after everything that the devil has done to us, and after everything that the devil has said to us, some of us had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us had to fall asleep in Jesus. After all of that, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Praise the name of Jesus. We're going to make it anyhow. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Going to sit at the table giving thanks to the God whose blood made it possible. Well, that's the setup. 
here's the appeal. Because when we descended upon this part in Christ's narrative, at the beginning of this little message, we began in verse 26, didn't we? Now we expand a little bit and look at verse 25. Then Judas, who betrayed Jesus, answered and said, Master, is it I? Am I the one? And Jesus said, Thou hast said. There's a whole sermon we could preach on Judas. There's a whole sermon we can preach on the mentality of asking the Lord, Lord, what about me? Is it I? But what I wish to focus on by God's grace, going back down to verse 29, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until we are in my Father's kingdom. Jesus made an invitation. And guess who else was invited? Judas. This image is not biblical, prophetic, or theological. It is strictly illustrative. But I want you to imagine that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, Judas. I'm coming for you, Judas. We're going to give thanks to the Father in heaven together, Judas. He made an invitation to Judas, and I want you to imagine the chair that Jesus had prepared. Oh, have mercy. The place that Jesus had prepared. Oh, worse than that, that he had died to provide. And in heaven, Judas's place is empty. Imagine, after everything we've been through, after everything the devil has done, after everything the devil has said, some of us had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us had to fall asleep in Jesus and after, excuse me, fall asleep, not in Jesus. And after all of that, not make it to the kingdom. I think it is pertinent for us to make a pact by the grace of Jesus Christ that we are going to accept his invitation. And of everybody in this church and as many people to whom we can preach the gospel, ain't going to be no empty seats. 
not too long ago. Got a phone call from Sister Sells. Her son had a friend who had had a seizure and was in the hospital. And would somebody from the church go and see this young man? There are people who went to see him. I think Elder Marlon Shahal went to see him. And I'd like to focus right quick on Brother Neil here and myself. Sabbath morning early before church started, I got in my car. Some of you don't know this, but those who are waiting on me to open the door certainly do. It would be cold out there. I get to church at 5.30 in the morning. Actually, I've been pushing it to 6. It's better on my joints. And then we pray early in the morning, and afterwards, everybody goes home. I don't have time to go all the way back, you know, and dress and all this. So I have my suit here. And here at the church, I bathe, I shave my head, put a little shine on it for Sabbath, put that Sabbath glow on there. Put my suit on and ready for church. But on this day, I shined my head, I put my suit on, and I got in the car, and I shot over to the hospital to see this young man. But there was a bit of a miscommunication I did not have the correct name. So I get to the hospital. I'm trying to look dignified. I had my Bible, and I said, look, I'm trying to see this brother. I described the situation, and they knew who I was talking about, but they were like, sir, uh, we cannot let you in to see him if you don't have his name. Well, I tried everything. Well, I'm a pastor. We don't care. Well, I'm a doctor. We sure don't care. All right. Uh, so I call Sister Sells, and she's trying to work it out, but I had to get back to the church to handle business. So I got in the car, and I shot all the way back to church. Well, somebody go see this brother. And praise the Lord, many persons here did. Sun went down. Sun came up the next day. Brother Neil calls me. The brother is on life support. And today... At seven, they're going to pull the plug. Will you come and be with the family? Yes, Brother Neil. You have my word. I will be there. And you know, pastors, we have all this other stuff going on, you know. I made it. I meant, you know. <laughs> I'm doing my best to get there and get there. And Brother Neil is calling me and he says, now I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor. I will do whatever it is the Lord calls me to do. But I've seen enough death in my life. And I would rather not be here by myself while this is going down. I said, listen, you do what you have to do. And we exchanged some scriptures and some texts. And he was there with the family. And I got all my stuff together. And I'm heading to the car. And I was like, I don't want to do this by myself. You know, it's always nice to have somebody with you. And so I grabbed my wife. Wife. Husband. Come with me. This is not the sort of thing one wants to go see. But it's ministry. And each of us will be called if we have not been called at some point to minister to others in their grief. And we get in the car, my super fancy chariot, also known as the Kia Soul. And I'm standing in there, I mean sitting in the car. And we put everything together and we're going. And while I'm going, I call Brother Neil. Hey, what's going on? And he says, well, I prayed with them. I sat with them. And now I have to go. They know that you are on the way. 
And we got all the way to the hospital, and we got out of the car, and you put your suit jacket on. Pastor Mendenhall told me, always have your suit jacket in the car, because you never know when you need to be a preacher. And you also have the Bible with you, same reason. And so I put my jacket on, and I had my Bible, and I grabbed my wife, and we go to the hospital doors, up the elevators, and when the doors open, 30 people are standing there. And very few of them speak English. Brother Neal had told them, he's a big black guy with a bald head. And you know, apparently not a whole lot of those had shown up in the elevators. So they knew that it was me. And they said, let's wait, Pastor. I'm walking. The walk. My wife's behind me. And we get to the hospital room. There's this turn that you have to make because the hospital room is here facing this way and the hall is this way and you don't know what you're going to see. Sometimes the grief can overtake you and you just, Lord, be with me and you turn into the hospital room and there they were. 30 more people whom I did not know and they did not know me. And there's this brother on life support. I look up at the tele telemetry, that metronome telemetry that only life support can do. And they're gathering around and they're leaning over and does anyone speak English? Yes, one person says, and I say, talk to me, what happened? Well, he had a seizure and he hasn't gained consciousness. He hasn't said anything. He hasn't done anything. The doctor says he's brain dead and they're gonna pull the plug. What does a preacher say? What does a preacher do? Well, I stepped up to the bed. His name was Jorge. Put my hand on his hand. Jorge has not moved. Jorge has not anything. And I said, hey, brother. And inspiration hit. I said, I'm sorry that we got to meet like this. I'm sorry to have to meet you under these circumstances because the respect that I see around the room testifies to the fact that you are an upstanding man. I'd like to talk to you one day. And I thought about it. You know what? One day we can have a talk, Brother Jorge. Where, preacher? At the welcome table, Brother Jorge. And then I took the word like this, this very same one, and I start thumbing through it. What shall I read? What shall I read? You know what? 1 Thessalonians 4, that's really nice. But we're talking about the welcome table, and I get all the way back to the book of Revelation. The next to last chapter in the whole Bible. And this is what I read. And I saw a new heaven. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and women and he will dwell with them and they're going to be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And then I got to this part right here. I said, and guess what, Brother Jorge? God's going to wipe away all tears from your eyes and there's not going to be no more death, Brother Jorge. Not going to be no more sorrow, Brother Jorge. No more crying, Brother Jorge. Ain't going to be no more pain, Brother Jorge. For the former things are passed away. I want to be there. What about you? And as God is my witness, church, Brother Jorge started going, My eyes got like this. And we looked around at each other. And I looked back at my wife. Wife gave me a look saying, is there a preacher on duty or not? Yes, Brother Jorge, yes, let's decide together to be at the welcome table, Brother Jorge. And I wish I could tell you, church, that Brother Jorge got up and walked off the hospital. I wish I could tell you that everything was done, but that's not what happened. He fell asleep in Jesus, but guess what? He made a choice to be at the welcome table. To be counted as one of the number that no man can number. To be present, giving thanks to the God who made it all possible. Hey, Brother Jorge going to be there. Will you? Will you determine right now that you are going to accept the invitation that Jesus made? Amen. You're never in the sermon without giving somebody an opportunity to make it right with Jesus. I'm not going to go on and on, but if you want to choose Christ. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? Now, if you don't want to, don't stand. Because God sees these commitments and they are written down in glory. And commitment by commitment, we get closer and closer to Jesus until the day he comes and we are glad but not surprised. Well now, while everybody is on their feet, I'm going to do like we do way back in the south. I'm standing here first to meet you. If you want to specially rededicate yourself to Jesus. We're going to have a prayer here.
but maybe you want to get a little closer to the altar. I do. That's why I'm standing here. If that is you, not a big deal. Just come on down. Let's pray together as a family. Is that you? Will I stand alone? Spirit moves and the people obey. Come on in closer, guys. Come on in. Let's pray together. Oh, there's room right here. Nobody wants to get close. Come on in. family glory be to God by whose blood we are delivered glory be to God who has made it such that this world is not a permanent thing but we may taste eternity I just got a note and it's not a good note. Jean Smith's 13-year-old granddaughter passed away this morning. But even as we sorrow, let us not forget that there is glory waiting on us. The trials of this world, that is not the end. The end is glory. And by God's grace, we will be together there. I am determined. Nothing is going to stop me from getting to heaven. By God's grace, am I alone? Is anybody else determined to get there? All right. Let's pray. Oh, our Father in heaven, thank you. We give thanks, Lord. We give thanks. We stop what we're doing and we give thanks. We defy the devil and we give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And save us in your kingdom. There are people who have come down, Lord, because there is a specific thing in their hearts and you know what it is. But the God who freed the Israelites... The God whose blood has made it so that we may be free from sin is the God that can and will free us from our burdens and make it all right in the end. Now bless us and bless the meal that has been prepared. 
Thank you again, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let everybody say, Amen. Amen.